ירמות דף, קי"ח עמוד ב', קנקשן עם מנג', תו למי תו תן תנדו. And we're happy to have Sharon Farber with us today. She's a regular listener to the Matmonim, but today she's with us and she's, uh, it, it, it's quite fortuitous because this particular piece of relearning, it's good to have a woman's perspective on. Uh, Sharon is here because the Shir is in, dedicated to the memory of her father, who's your side it is today, Rabashi Ben Rabsender HaKohen. We're talking about relationships, and relationships, connections, partnerships uh, are created for all sorts of different reasons. There are relationships and connections in business, in politics, and of course, in family and in friendships. And sometimes these relationships and partnerships are created because there is a common objective. And the Mishnah says in the fifth parak of Perkei Avot, If love between two parties or two individuals is dependent on an external factor, then when that factor no longer exists, the relationships no longer exist. So in cases of alliances, and I like to differentiate between an alliance and a partnership, an alliance is two or more people getting together to confront a common threat. So as long as there's a common threat, the alliance stays together. Once the threat disappears, the alliance begins to disintegrate. Sometimes relationships in business and partnerships are created because there's a common objective. As long as the common objective is present, the relationship exists. If the objective disappears, so does the relationship begin to differentiate. But if the relationship is not dependent on anything, it, anything external, it, it never disintegrates. It's permanent. So what does bind people in a relationship that's not dependent on common interest or on a common enemy? What is the commonality that brings them together? And very often, the commonality is shared values, shared beliefs, wherein the things that are really important to, to the one party, the other party shares that sense of extreme importance. And what we'll see in today's learning is that when that breaks down, the relationship is severely challenged, that there can be all sorts of other challenges in the relationship, and the relationship can survive. But when the values are irreconcilable, the relationship, the connection in the relationship is broken. Let's have a look and understand that. From the Gemara, right at the end of the 15th parak, we're getting to near the end of this incredible, wonderful Masechta Yevamot. Uh, and here we have, Ba'amine Rav Mirav Nachman, Rav Ast Rav Nachman, Uh, this is an interesting situation. We have a principle in halakha that you can um, gift something to another if it's in their interests, if it's to their advantage. They don't have to be active in the gifting process. You can deposit money into their account. You can uh, assign an asset to another individual. If it's only to their benefit and there's no downside to the other person, they don't have to be actively involved in the transaction. And the Gemara is considering the transaction of a get because when a get, a divorce is given to a woman, she has to acquire it. There is a transaction. He has to give the get over into her possession. And the question is, are there situations where a get is so much in, to her advantage that he can give it to her without her participation in the transaction at all, a unilateral divorce in which she's not involved. And the case we're talking about is a case of a yabam, where a man is dying and he realizes that after his death, his wife is going to have to marry his brother because they don't have children and the law of Yibam will apply. And he might also know that his wife... Um, 
despises the, her brother-in-law. And therefore, by divorcing her and relieving her from the obligation of Yibum, he is doing her an enormous favor. Given the Sanyeles Chutula, do we say, since she might despise the brother, this is a real opportunity for her, and she should and he should be able to give her this get even without her participation in the transaction, because Zachin Ladam Shelo Befanav, you're allowed to credit somebody with something even if he's not present. Or Dilma, or do we consider the other possibility? That given the zimnim derachmale chovhula, there might be times where she really is very attracted to her brother-in-law, and she's been waiting all her life for her husband to die with, uh, before they have any children, so that she can marry the brother-in-law. And now the the her husband wants to give her a get before he dies and make her prohibited to her brother-in-law. She doesn't like that idea at all. Maybe this is to her disadvantage. And we don't cause disadvantage to others unless they're part of the transaction and unless they acquiesce. And then Amale Talina, the Gemara, wants to say we can prove from our Mishnah that uh, we we are concerned and, and, and we have to worry that these things might be not be to her advantage. Leading Ravina to ask Rava a slightly different question. Why? What happens if we know the husband and wife are having a bitter, terrible argument. And we've talked about what that means already. We're talking not just about a, a, a bit of bickering that takes place in every marriage at different times, but real hatred of one another where she wants to be divorced and, and claims that she is already divorced in such a case. If the husband were to give a get to his wife without her participation in the transaction, would we consider that a schut, that he is doing something to her advantage? Or do we say that it is possible that a woman would rather be married and unhappy than be unmarried? And the Gemara says, Tashma, I can bring you a proof that that in fact is so, because Reish Lakish says, This is a famous saying that we'll have again in Ketuvot, in our next Masechta, later on in Kiddushin, and other places. Um, a woman prefers to be in relationship than to be single and to be a, a living widow. Uh, that her situation in society is such uh, that it's preferable for her to be considered by her friends and by society as a married woman. So socially, she's better off with the status of a, ma of a married woman, even if in her relationship per se, she's unhappily married. And then the Gemara gives a, a, a few examples of, of where a woman might be unhappy with her husband, and yet we say she might prefer it, she might be happy with it as it is. For example, the Shumshumana Gavra, Kusebechalta Ramula, even a husband who might be very small, he might be short, of small, of, of short stature, um, and yet she might feel herself very proud uh, to be married to this man, the Rebetzin of Rav Moshe Feinstein told me how when the Shidduch was proposed to her to marry Rav Moshe Feinstein, as she was asked, are you sure you're happy with it? He's shorter than you. He's a very short man. And and the Rebetzin said, and, and I just said to them, really? A, a short man? I just see a giant. And so we can't judge how a woman feels about her husband on the basis of how we might feel about him as a man. She might be attracted to him. She might find greatness in him. 
and so we can't assume that she wants out of the marriage because he's of small stature or he's ugly. Um, and Ralph Papa talks about a husband who has a very lowly profession. Now, these are the things one normally proposes in a shidduch. The man we're proposing is enormously handsome. The man that we're proposing is very wealthy. He has a great business. Nevertheless, says the, the Gemara, even if he has a lowly profession, profession, she's happy to sit with him in public as a married woman to this man who she considers worthy. Uh, and Ravashi says, for example, a man who might have questionable yichas, his family lineage is, is, question, is questionable. And nevertheless, she's, she's okay with that. And even if she doesn't want anything from him, she's just happy to be in relationship rather than to be out of relationship. And then the Gemara says a strange thing. And, and at the very least, you'll find that a woman might be happy to be in a relationship even if she despises her husband and wants nothing to do with him. Because at least if she chooses to have affairs with other men uh, and she were to become pregnant, she would not be looked upon negatively in society because people would assume this is her husband's baby. Uh, and so she has some social protection from being married. These are all examples given to show that although we might look from the outside at a situation and say we're doing her a great favor by getting her divorced, it's not necessarily so. It's possible that she doesn't see it as a favor at all. She would rather be married uh, than to be unmarried. And the principle here is not to say that that is in fact the case. The Beis Yosef brings two views and uh, and, and brings the, the, the view of the run, that this is not to say we know for sure that that's how every woman feels. Obviously not, of course not. All we're saying is you can't jump to a conclusion. You can't make an assumption that a woman is unhappy because maybe you would be unhappy if you were her in that marriage, but you're not her and you're not in that marriage. And who knows what connections there are between husband and wife that override the negativity that you see in their relationship. We can't understand that in relationships and in love, what those connections are. And therefore, we can never assume that it's in the woman's interests for her to, to, to take a divorce and therefore to be able to do that without her participation in the transaction. But what's interesting is a view that's brought by the Ramor in Shulchan Aruch, in Evan Oezer, Simon Kuf Mem, Seif Hey. The Ramor says, Yeshumim, there is a view and this view comes from the, the Trumas Hadeshin in, in Simon Reish Lamed Zayin, uh, that Hamumar laget. If a person has given up his Yiddishkeit, a person has, has left Torah and Mitzvot, uh, he's gone right off the derech. In such a case, there is a view that that Mumar, that husband who's, who's left religious practice, could give his wife a get without her participation, because in that case, we could be sure that it's in her, it's to her benefit. And the Taz says an amazing thing. He says, Because if her husband has, has left Yiddishkeit, she continues to believe in Hashem and to believe in the Torah and is committed to the Torah in every way. And the husband has distanced himself from the practice of Torah. In such a case, we know for sure that she would be benefiting from the divorce. And she doesn't have to be an active participant in the divorce. He can give it to her without her participation because there's no downside in this get. There's only upside. Because she could not possibly any longer have a connection to him.
And that's so interesting because usually when we look at connections between men and women, we look at the things that the Gomorrah enumerated. We look at, at looks and we look at wealth and we look at, at yichas. And yet we see that the most important thing really is the shared values at the fundamental level. Not that every value has to be shared, of course. Every person has different values and husbands and wives have got different values and there's nothing wrong with that. But when the fundamental values, the absolute principle on which everything rests, on which a life rests, when that is not shared, ein la chibur or they love, she can no longer have a true connection with, with such a man when the values are so, are so disparate. And that's something that we need to be uh, cognizant of, not only in marriage. Uh, I have many clients who only hire or who hire primarily on shared values. They won't hire people who don't share the fundamental values on which the organization, on which the company is built. I have clients who are VCs and they don't invest in startups and technology companies and entrepreneurs where there isn't a values alignment between the entrepreneur and the investors so that there's a sense of we're in this together, not only because we've got a common objective, we want to make money, or we have a common objective to create a certain product, but because we also believe in the same things. We believe in what we're doing deeply. And that shared belief will take us through all sorts of difficulties and arguments because at the end of the day, it's founded on something that is so so basic and so deep in each of us that we'll overcome any of the difficulties. And, and so it is in, in marriages. Marriages face difficulties. Uh, young marriages uh, have a lifetime ahead of them of ups and downs. And one of the things that gets them through is if at the end of the day, the core values by which each of them live are very similar and beautifully aligned. If that's the case, they can get through things. If that's the case, it doesn't matter if he's short or ugly. It doesn't matter if he doesn't have a lot of money and he has a, a very modest profession. Uh, and it doesn't matter, matter even if he has question, questionable family lineage. All those things can be overcome because they have shared values. But if he's a mumar, if he's given up his commitment to Yiddishkeit and she has not, then even if he is handsome and wealthy and from the greatest, finest family, ain la chibur o they love. When the values aren't there, there just isn't connection. And it's so important to choose our relationships on the basis of shared values, to choose the people we're close to and intimate with, the people we enter into partnerships with, the people we work with, not only because we share objectives, but also because we share beliefs in what's really important. Thank you.